0: I can choose every day to keep my heart on an incline towards heaven and the result of that is that i will see what does it say the goodness of god in the land of the living that's what i want to see i want to experience the goodness of god and but the reality is is that i have to understand that it's a decision that i make every single day that every day when i wake up you know and i throw the covers off and i kick my feet over the bed I have to make a decision what is the direction of my heart going to be because nobody can change our hearts nobody can change our desires except for us I think that's the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross for us was he bought back our authority to experience anything that we want to experience the problem is is that means it's the good or the bad And that's why I constantly keep my heart, or or I do the very best that I can do to keep my heart on an incline, because I want to experience the best of God in this day. I want to experience the best of God this month. I want to experience the best of God in this year. And sometimes, honestly, it's as simple as when I wake up in the morning and I kick my feet over the bed, I remind myself of the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. Because this is the thing is that we don't want to change just the outside. I mean, I had a conversation with a doctor, this was a while ago, and you know, I told them that I was over 30 and they asked me if I had ever gotten my cholesterol checked, right? You know, and I replied, no. I I honestly think the last time I went to the doctor, or that's like on my form, it was like 1988, okay? (laughs) Plug your ears, doctors, right? I know that I should probably go more often than that to get a checkup. Um, but, but they were talking to me about it and they're, you know, they're talking about HDL and LDL and, you know, triglycerides and blah, 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 I don't know, all these long words. And I'm, you know, it's kind of like what's happening to you right now. You're sort of tuning out because of whatever. And, and all of a sudden I can remember was that this conversation took a drastic, a, a drastic change in, and they made this statement to me. They said, they said, I don't want you to be fit on the outside. Okay, now that got my attention, right? I was like, yes, thank you. Thank you for noticing all the hard work that I've put into this. But she said that I don't want you to just be fit on the outside and fall over dead while you're running because the inside isn't as clean as the outside. And I said to her, listen, I know, I know, I know, I know that you have all these degrees and you've got all these things. But I tell you something, I would never drop dead running because I don't do cardio, right? <laughs> okay. But this is the thing is that this doctor said is that you can be blocked on the inside but lo- and look good on the outside and fall over right? You can be successful and fall over. You could be sexy and fall over, okay? You could be married and you could fall over, right? You could get a promotion and you could fall over. You could be religious and you could fall over. Why? Because if all your focus is on the outside and you don't get busy cleaning up the inside, eventually the outside is going to look like the inside, right? Like you can pretty it up as much as you want to, but eventually what's on the inside of you is going to come out. And so instead of trying to make the outside look better than the inside, let's do our best to incline our attention to the Lord. Why? Because as I incline my attention to the Lord and the inside changes, the outside will follow suit. And so I, as I was just speaking to the Lord about tonight, I just heard him say that that i really believe that what god is going to he's going to do he's going to help us this evening to reset the defaults of our heart okay. that maybe where our defaults were a whole bunch of different things that we don't want them to be i believe that what the lord is doing in this month january of 2018 is he is resetting the defaults of our heart that he's going to show us how to set our hearts not on these things temporal things not trying to make it look good on the outside, not trying to focus on fooling everybody and tricking everybody to think that we're something that we're not. No, but he's gonna show us how do I incline my heart so that I set my things, like the scripture says, on things above. I don't wanna be focused on just what's down here. I want my heart to be focused on the things that are above because that's a promise. Now you might be sitting here asking me, how do I change my heart? I got some good news and I got some bad news for you. (laughs) The way that we change our heart is simple, it's discipline. It's developing new habits, okay? Because our habits create the normal for our heart. It's what they do. And the, the, I mean, it's very simple to do in a very disciplined, intense, not easy kind of way. Very simple though, to change our hearts simply by changing our habits. And so uh, what I, we're gonna talk about three points now um, and so Psalm 119, 112 says this, we read this, I'm inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. 113 says this, I hate, say hate. hate. You'd be like, whoa, what does that do in the Bible? Like, I thought we were supposed to like love everybody and, you know, we we're supposed to just, yeah, be happy and, yeah, everything is okay, be easy, okay? But the psalmist says what? I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Okay, now he's talking about I hate the double-minded here and that's something, okay? But he's not talking about a person, you know? Like you double-minded person, I hate you, okay? That's not what he's saying. But he's talking about what this state of mind that we can sometimes have inside of ourselves, where we are and we can find ourselves in this place of being double-minded. But I tell you something, that what I've discovered in this, and this is one of the main things that I, that I coach people and especially in dealing with physical things because, you know, I've been working out for a long time And so people come to me and they ask me, how do I do it? How do I get in shape? And what, you know, I've I've talked to people, you know, you need to love the gym, you need to love the gym. And it's like, yeah, that's good. But I tell you something, hate is probably the most powerful motivation. Like if you don't hate where you are, how was I saying? Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good, right? Okay, right? If we don't, if we can't hate where we are, we'll never change. Because the first thing that we have to do, and this is what the psalmist said, okay, I'm not like preaching some crazy gospel here. He says this, I hate the double-minded. I hate it when I'm up one day and down the next. I hate when I got a good perspective and then I got a bad perspective. I hate the fact that situations can determine how I feel about my life. I hate the fact that I'm double-minded, that in one breath I can say the promise of God, and then the next breath I can curse my life. I hate that I could be double-minded. And I think that's the very first thing that we have to do. We have to, as we step across the line of this year, we have to be able to define in ourselves, what are the things in our life that we hate? Because we all have them. We all have those habits. We all have those thought processes. We all have those things that we do, that we hate about ourselves that we do, right? You got that. You're like, man, I'll tell you one of the things, I hate that I like to eat late at night, okay? I hate that, okay? But I don't hate it enough, or I'll say this, I love eating more than I hate the fact that I want to eat at night, okay? And so the reality is, is that I don't change, right? I'm so double-minded in that area. It's like, you know how that feels, right? You're You're like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. And you like stuff your face. And then like as you're stuffing your face, the spirit of regret hits you heavily. And you're like, why did I do that? But the problem is, is that sometimes what we can do is that we can love where we are more than we hate it and because of that we remain double minded i love to worry i love to fear i love to take control more than i hate the fact that i do that and i separate myself from my trusting heavenly father and you see that i believe this is what we have to do because the reality is is that like i said with food it's just a funny example But a lot of us, and a lot of the reasons why, you know, and myself included, that we habitually just continue to repeat our life all the time, is that we have a love-hate relationship with so many of the things in our life. Isn't that the truth? And I think that it's evidence, and I mean, it gets the best of us. I mean, that's even like Paul the Apostle, right, where he makes this statement. He says, you know, why do I do the things that I don't want to do, and I you know i don't do the things that i know that i should do okay i mean even paul was you know perplexed with this state of why do i constantly have this love-hate relationship with things that i know are hindering me from the plan of god last week we talked about this with king david you know where, where we know that you know you remember the story king david and absalom and absalom had just died in battle and absalom was king david's son and, you know, he's like weeping and mourning and, and Joab, you know, busts in, you know, remember he like kicks down the door, remember when he gets real angry at King David and he makes the statement, why do you hate those who love you and love those who hate you? Right? Why do you love those things that are bad for you and hate the things that are good for you? Why do you love the things that God is trying to get out of your life and hate the things that God is trying to do in your life? And so often, we remain stuck in this place because of this love-hate relationship where we want control, but we want God to have control. And I want control, and I want God to have control, but I want control, and I want God to have control. And because of that, I stay torn because I don't understand how to hate the things that God hates. But I have this with so many things because I love how they feel for a moment, but then I hate the crash. And certain things, I hate them when I'm doing them, but I love how they feel when I'm done. Like I said, food was this way, you know? I mean, you could go back in my life and look at pictures that prove this, that <laughs> I've definitely gone through seasons, I could have a, literally a 15-minute slideshow of like all the different versions of me, okay, because I got a thing, I got this thing with food, um, and you know, but the, this is the thing is that, that I had this realization that this was happening um, when we started taking more pictures in the ministry, Okay. This is a few years ago. And I actually still have like one of the first pictures of me on stage. It's a reminder, you know, this is why you don't eat at night, okay? (laughs) And so I keep it. It's my screensaver, you know? It's a (laughs) giant picture on my fridge, okay, that just pops up at night. No, I'm just kidding. You know, and I I realized this, that I had this love-hate relationship with food because people started taking pictures and, you know, somebody came and showed me the picture of myself and I asked if I was hiding behind the fat guy, And as I was saying it, I realized that I was the fat guy, and it was a bummer, okay? But this was this moment where I realized that I had this thing. I had this, you know, this problem. I had this love-hate relationship that I, until I came to the place where I hated the fact that this was what I was doing. Until I came to the place where I hated, and this is a silly example, like I said, but until I came to the place where I hated what this was doing to my body, until I came to the place where I became more focused on where I wanted to be than where I was, until I realized that I don't want this anymore, but I want this, I stayed and remained in this habitual cycle continually. You know, sometimes we have this with things like self-pity, you know? Self-pity is that thing is, oh. I mean, nothing tastes better than a sweet sip of self-pity, right? It's like, ooh, you know, it's like the tastiest morsel of food you could ever eat. It just, ooh, it just soothes the soul, self-pity, right? It does. But what? It's one of those things that it feels good until the high is over. And you realize what? I'm worse now than I was before I started this party. You know, the problem with self-pity is that, you know, to me, it was like this thing that I had with Doritos, Sweet, sweet chili Doritos. Ooh. I love me some sweet chili Doritos. Now, the thing is, is that it's not that I hate the taste of Doritos. It's that I hate what they did to my waist, right? I love the taste of sweet chili. I remember telling stories of people. This was my biggest problem. I would tell people, you know, I ate this whole bag of sweet chili Doritos. And, like, I don't think I gained any weight right? That's a lie. Okay. That's one of those things where you're just lying to yourself. All right. But this is the thing is that I, I loved it and I love the taste, but I hate what it was doing for, to me. But until I came to the place where I realized that I don't want to be here anymore. This is the point that I'm trying to get across until we get to the place where I hate where I am. I tell you something, let me say it like this, it's very difficult to change. I mean, in my own life, I could recount story after story after story after story of me telling people, you know, someone coming to me and saying, you need to get this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm convinced that when I was saying, I'm trying to get better, I'm trying to be the, all I was saying was, mm, I don't know which one, I love it or I hate it. And so often we stay in this place of indecision, and sometimes we think about it like, you know, oh, you know, i want to you know not eat so much anymore and i'm in this love but that's not what i'm talking about sometimes we're talking about the blessing of god in our life and god desiring to pour out the blessing of god but we're having trouble trusting in the lord and so when god asks us to step out and trust him and we can't because we need to maintain the control and god's trying to get some things into our life but because we can't step away and release the control he never can until i hate that about myself it makes it so difficult for me to change like until I hate the fact that I get angry. You know, it feels good to get angry. I mean, you could get people to do things when you're angry. You know, if I just shout at you and I got real intense and real angry at you, I could get you to do things. But I tell you something, once you do it for me, then you're gone and you never wanna be with me again and I'm all alone. What is it, it feels good going down, but I hate the result of it. Complaining is like this, you know? Isn't complaining like that? Like, who, baby. You know, you get me on the right day, and I love to complain. You know, some days it's like that, right? You're just waiting for that person to just ask you how you're doing. You know that? You're like seeking somebody out. Please just ask me how I'm doing, right? And then you just like, bam, this is it. This is my moment. It's like a spotlight from heaven beams on you. And you just unload on this person, everything that's wrong with your life, your day, the people that are around you. But the problem is, is that when you're done complaining, that person is never going to want to be around you again because they don't want to hear the complaints anymore. I love the way that it feels when I do it, but I hate the results. I mean, so many things in our life are like that. People who talk bad about others. You know? We could all say it. It's okay. We could be honest here. Sometimes it feels good, you know, to talk about Jim and George and how they made such horrible decisions. And, you know, I would never do those things if I was them. It feels good to do those things. But the problem is, is that you know then when i see them and they come into me i can't treat you any better than how i've talked about you and so now what it does is it separates me i love what i do in the moment but i hate the outcome until i come to a place where i hate the things in me stuff will never change the next thing that he says is this he says in 114 so this was the first one was you have to know what to hate the second thing in 114, it says this. 113 says, I hate the devil minded, but I love your law. 14 says this, You are my hiding place and my shield. You know, one of the things that I've discovered as I've walked this road of Christianity is that attacks are going to come and try to keep you stuck or take you back to where you were. That if I don't know where to hide, or how to hide, when discouragement tries to set in in my life, I'm an open target for the enemy. If I don't change where I'm hiding, my outcome is gonna continually be the same as it was last time. That unless I do something to change where I am, the next time I get discouraged, I can expect to be the same as the last time I got discouraged. And that's why the psalmist says this, he makes the statement that you are my hiding place and my shield. The question that I had to ask myself is, is am I running to, am I running to the same enemy that's attacking me? Hmm. When I feel discouraged, is my hiding place discouragement? When I'm feeling shame, is my hiding place that I go and I hide in that shame? Because I tell you something, sometimes that's the very place that you can find someone when they're in the middle of their problem, they've allowed their problem to be their covering as though their covering, their problem is going to shield them from their problem. But see, the psalmist understood something that he understood that in order for me to keep my heart inclined unto the Lord, I have to understand something. I have to understand where do I run to when the battle is on? Because I tell you something, the scripture has like, it says it like this: that that under His wings, that I can find refuge in Him. That in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the most difficult of situations or circumstances, that I could be sitting in the middle of the battlefield, but in the middle of that battlefield, I could be protected because I understood where it is that I'm supposed to hide. Now, I'm not talking about physical hiding places. I'm not telling you that you need to go home tonight and build a fort somewhere in your house. And every time you get discouraged, you need to run and hide in the fort, okay? Although maybe metaphorically that will help you. What I'm talking about is that sometimes the the hiding place, or can I say most of the time, the hiding places that destroy us in our lives are the areas where we hide in our hearts. Things that we hide things that we don't want to tell anyone, things about ourselves that we're so ashamed of that we can't come out of these areas of our hearts that we hide and that we try to hide under these are the areas in our lives that end up destroying us but the lord says this he is our hiding place and he is our shield when the attack comes the psalmist is giving us very strict instructions of where do i run to Because I'll tell you something, if you're in the middle of a battle and your heart is inclined unto the Lord, you know, I wish that it was like this, that, you know, the enemy, when he saw that our heart was inclined unto the Lord, you know, in life, in situations, you know, that, you know, a bad situation would run up and it would be like, oh my gosh, Alex's heart is inclined to the Lord now. Let's not bother him. Okay. I wish life situations were as polite as that to know that I'm having a good day right now. So if you could please not bother me, you know, call me tomorrow, that would be amazing. But I tell you something is that our strength is not that our life isn't difficult. Our strength comes is that in the middle of the battle, I know where to run to. I know what to do. I know what to say. I know how to respond to this situation. scripture says it like this, that he's our shelter, not from the storm. He's my shelter in the storm. Sometimes I wish that, you know, as when I accepted Jesus in my heart as a ripe three-year-old, that that would mean that my life was rainbows and butterflies and it's just happiness, you know, everywhere. Like, let's just sing kumbaya. But it's not like that. But sometimes what we can happen is we can get so focused on the battle instead of realizing that he is our shelter in the battle. I think that's why the Bible says that it's like sweatless victory. There's still a victory to be won. There's still a fight to be had. But for me, as I rest in the Lord, as I find my shelter in him, that as I allow him to be my shield, I'll experience the freedom that I need. Because I tell you something, the hardest timed, uh, let me say this. We have to become very familiar with our hiding place before the battle begins. Like, you ever watched a YouTube video of people trying to put up a tent in a hurricane? Yeah. I saw a clip one time. I think it was like a preview to a YouTube video that I was watching. And you're watching somebody trying to put up this tent and it's blowing. Like there is no chance any time ever in the next eons of life that this person is ever gonna get this tent up. But it's the same thing in our life. Unless I have pre-established where I'm gonna run to before I'm in a battle, when I'm in the battle, when I'm in the middle of the fight, it's gonna be very challenging for me to know what I need to do, where I need to run to in order to experience the life that I want. I was telling the interns that sometimes, you know, and we all have these things, right? We all have these places that we run to. We all have these things that we do. I was telling the interns just earlier this morning that my place of refuge that I, that I camped under for many years was the, the refuge of blame, you know? I tell you something, I became an expert on blaming somebody for every single problem in my life, you know? Well, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for my parents, if it wasn't for my job, if it wasn't for my schooling, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that, I found a way in order to blame something for everything, right? You know, I could blame my parents. You know, I was, you know, I blamed them for the fact that, you know, they didn't force me to stay in guitar lessons, and then I blamed them for the fact that they forced me to take, you know, calculus, you know, and then I, you know, I blamed them for being too hard on me, and then I blamed them for being too easy on me. And the reality is is that it's so easy for us to find excuses, it's easy for us to stay and remain uncomfortable these things that we do these shelters that we have but unless I become aware of the fact that these are the things that I'm doing nothing in my life is ever going to change and maybe you don't blame but everybody has a hiding place You know, maybe the place that you run to is food. Maybe the place you run to is pornography. Maybe the place that you run to, you know, is shame. Maybe the place that you run to is discouragement. Every single one of us has a hiding place, but the psalmist understood one thing. If I'm gonna keep my heart inclined to what God is doing in my life, you alone, Father, can be my hiding place. And anything else in my life that tries to be the shield in my storm is like a cardboard shield. You know, it might stop a little bit, but it's only a matter of time. A little bit of rain and that thing is gonna crumble. And that's what happens to us time after time after time. But the Psalmist is telling us that it doesn't have to be that way. So I realize that I know where to hide, but I don't always do it. And I got news for you, that's okay. It's a start. At least you started. At least you've tried. Yeah. At least you've made steps in the right direction. Yeah, that's right. I mean, get accountability. Get people around you who can help you to make the strides to do the things that you need to do in order to step free from these things. Because that's why you have to know what to say. That's why you have to know how to respond to situations. Because sometimes, you know, when you're like in the shower and you can't run to get your Bible because you're in the shower, but the thought comes in your head, okay? You can't be like, let me just meditate on this garbage for the next five minutes while I scrub my back, right? But I have to know what to say. I have to know how to respond. I have to know how to challenge myself. I have to know where to run to. I have to have the scripture. I mean, I, I preached that maybe it was like three or four weeks ago, you know, where I have that thing where I just say, Christ is in me, I am enough. And in my time of trouble, in my time of frustration, in my time of difficulty, would I have a place, an easy place that I know how to run to. That's why songs are amazing. Yeah. Why? Because you know, you might not have the prettiest voice, but I tell you something, sometimes just releasing a little bit of the word of God, a little bit of song, a, some something that you could say, anything that you can say to establish your place of hiding is better than running back to the discouragement, the depression, the shame. Yeah, that's right. And that's what's happening. And the last thing is this. So I know what to hate. I know where to hide. And verse 114 says this, that I hope in your word. Can I tell you something? It's good to have hope. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to have hope. Now, I wanna, I wanna bring your attention to something here. And I'm closing with this. So Liz, you can hop up on there. I'm closing with this. Notice here, in this scripture 114 he doesn't say i have hope he says i hope now this is something that i'm pretty sure that i learned in like third or fourth grade english that if he was to say that i have hope that would be a noun but the fact that he says i hope that makes it a verb okay now, remember the verb, is the action word. What is that? A verb? Remember those songs? I can't remember them now. I wish I remembered it. I got to get better at remembering songs. But the reality was this, is that hope wasn't something that he had. Hope was something that he did. You know, sometimes we could think that, you know, that we're just waiting for, you know, the hope of heaven to hit us. But I tell you something, hope is something that we choose to do. Being hopeful and having a good expectation of our life is something that we hope to, it's something that we do. Hope is active. Hope is intentional. Hope is something that I begin to do every single day as the situations come, as the different things happen in my life. I have to actively choose to hope in those situations. That sometimes we could think that, you know, when the discouragement comes and it has the ability to get me down, well, I guess it just means that I don't have hope but the scripture doesn't say that we have to have hope it tells us to hope that in the middle of the difficulty hope you know when it feels you know when you're thinking this is it we're done hope allow yourself to think about how God is going to get you out of this situation You know when it seems like nothing could possibly fix this situation imagine a couple scenarios maybe they would be impossible like maybe it would be like bugs bunny would jump out of the screen and come and hand you a million dollars it doesn't matter allow yourself to begin to hope about how god is going to change your situation because you see this is something that's active we must choose to hope Choose to hope. You know, I can't do another year like you know, I just hope. I'm hoping it gets better. Just, you know, wishing and praying, hoping hoping something happens. I really hope this year is better than last year, because I hated last year. And I really hope that that's not what the psalmist is saying. You know, I was at the gym the other day and I heard somebody say to me this. You know, I, we go to the gym in the morning and this, so there's a lot of older gentlemen and they have a lot of wisdom. Unfortunately, it's worldly wisdom. And I was having a conversation with him and you know, I was talking to him just about life and those different things. And he said this to me, he said, here, you know, I can't remember what he called me, but he said, here's my philosophy. He says, hope for the best, expect the worst. I, hope in God. I'm not hoping in a system. I'm not hoping in a strategy. I'm not hoping in some person. My hope is in the Lord. The creator of heaven and earth. My hope isn't based off of if the situation goes good or it goes bad. My hope isn't based off of an outcome. My hope is based on the Lord. Heavenly Father, actually, can we stand? If you're comfortable, I don't want to embarrass you, but if you just close your eyes and lift up your hands, there's something that happens to us when we we do something external. It's like it solidifies what God is doing in the inside. And I'm hoping that you're 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 just feeling what God is doing and you're seeing how how desperately He's trying to get us into our promise. And I just want to deal with a couple of things before we go because I feel like unless we practice what we preach, unless we allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. My mom was just saying that let's let's tackle something this evening. Let's tackle any time in our life where we've stood on the word and we've tried to do this, to live this, to accomplish something, and it didn't work. And let's deal with the disappointment. That maybe would we'll try to set in as we are resetting our attention, as we're resetting our expectation, that you know, I declare over every single one of you that this year you're gonna love to spend time with the Lord, that you're gonna love to do the right things, that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna love what God loves and you're gonna hate what he hates. That you're gonna love to be righteous, you're gonna love to be holy, you're gonna love to trust the Lord, you're gonna love to release the control to him that we're resetting our hearts to him. So I simply want you to just say this, just say, Holy Spirit, show me a memory where I became disappointed in this process of faith. Now he's just gonna take you somewhere, really anywhere you go, that's okay. It's gonna take you to a memory where you stood you tried and you trusted and the situation didn't turn out the way you thought it was supposed to turn out. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this room right now just for your presence to touch us, to reset us, to recalibrate our hearts. If you have that memory, I just want you to simply just say this. Just say, Jesus, I invite you into this memory Now you might see him, you might show up there, you might feel him, you might just sense him. Really any change in the memory, the memory might get brighter. Any change we acknowledge as Jesus, everybody sees and feels Jesus differently and so there's no right or wrong way. And When he gets there, I want you to ask him this one simple question to say, Jesus, will you tell me the truth? speak something to you. It's going to give you a perspective change. Those words, that truth, that is your shelter. That is your shield. It's your place of refuge where you can trust in Him. Just say, Jesus, show me a glimpse of my future with this truth in my heart.